Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. With the third selection in the first round of the 2008 first-year player draft, the Kansas City Royals select Eric Hausmer, a first baseman from American Heritage School, Plantation, Florida. With the 18th selection of the 2018 MLB draft, the Kansas City Royals select Brady Singer, a right-handed pitcher from the University of Florida, Gainesville, Florida. With the second selection of the 2019 MLB Draft, the Kansas City Royals select Bobby I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review, and welcome to a special draft edition of Royals Review Radio. I'm joined by Sean Newkirk, Matthew Lamar, and Alex Duvall, and the Royals have just made their selection. The second overall pick is Bobby Witt Jr. Witt is an infielder out of Coleyville High School in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. He's the son of former big leaguer Bobby Witt, who was a first-rounder himself, selected third overall by the Texas Rangers, which makes them the highest-drafted father-son duo in Major League history. Now, Matthew, you wrote about... Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., a little bit before the draft. I think this wasn't a big surprise. So tell us a little bit about Witt and what he brings to the table. Yeah, sure. I suppose the elevator pitch for Bobby Witt is a five-tool shortstop. Um, So those tools being uh, that he can hit for average, he can hit for power, he can. Uh, he's a good defenser. A de- defenser. He's a good defender. Uh, he's a good runner, and he has a good arm. So those kinds of players who are good at all of those things are pretty rare. Um, and so that's kind of what makes Bobby Witt special. Um, what makes him different from a guy like Bubba Starling, who has, um, who was selected in the first round, fifth overall by the Royals in 2011, um, is that Witt has been um, like really highly uh, sought after and highly valued um, as a, as a draft prospect for a couple of years now, uh, you know, he was turning heads when he was 16, 17 years old. Uh, he's going to teach shortly after the draft, which puts him on the older side. But as, um, Kelly McDaniel said, pro, uh, a previous podcast that we did, um, it's not that big of a deal because he was doing really well a couple of years ago. Um, and the Dallas Fort Worth area is, um, you know, a good, uh, good talent area as far as, uh, baseball goes. He's been playing against pretty good competition for a long time and he's done really, really well, um, if you want a sort of major comp for Bobby Witt, um, the guy to think about is Trevor Story. So Trevor Story, um, if you don't know who he is, he's a shortstop for the Colorado Rockies. Um, he's in his fourth big league uh, season, and he just eclipsed the 100 home run mark this year. So he's got a lot of power, and uh, Bobby Witt won the um, 2019 high school uh, home run derby. So he's got big power. Um 
Yeah, and and he's a great defender as well. Um, and Story's a pretty good defender too. So if he turns into anybody like Trevor Story, you know, we should be happy. Um, you know, I don't think necessarily that Witt is the best high school shortstop or the best shortstop prospect in the history of ever, like some some people may have hyped him up to be. But I think he's really good. He's really polished for a high school player. Um, and um, it's a it's a not every day you can get a draft prospect as um, highly valued or as, as talented as Witt is. Yeah, he has been on the radar for a long time. And I think even last year, as soon as the Royals drafted, people were like, hey, who's the uh, top prospect for next year? And I think Witt's name came up a lot. And he was the, the youngest player invited to the Under Armour All-American game for high school players. Uh, he, he, he's done well in wood bat tournaments as well. So I think that's why his, his, his game may translate well to the pro level. And of course he was this week named to the, the Gatorade national high school player of the year. Uh, so that's, that's obviously a big honor as well. And, you know, Sean, it seems like the selection came right after the, the Orioles selected Adley Rutschman out of Oregon state. Uh, I think everyone kind of expected those two to go one, two. So was this kind of an obvious pick for the Royals? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Matthew had pre-written his draft, or you know, the the piece saying the Royals took Bobby Witt second overall, and then hit published. I mean, he's ready to roll. So yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone saw this one coming. Um, it was I think it was called the layup of the draft as far as um, who's going to be taken there. Maybe not necessarily like you know, hey, that's the that's the best pick, you know, in that sense. But it was the one that everybody was the most locked into. And, and Matthew did mention the age thing a little bit. I think there's also, I guess, when we talked about this a little bit last time, a little bit of concern about his hit tool. But I feel like a lot of that came from fan, fan graphs, which, which they seem like they were maybe a little bit more down on him than some other evaluators. I mean, the guy did hit 49 with 15 home runs this year, Alex. And you know, I, I know high school stats should kind of be taken with a grain of salt, but he's kind of performed like every, you know, every elite t- tournament he's been at. Uh, should we have any concerns about his hit tool at this point? I don't have as many concerns with his hit tool as maybe I have with the Royals to develop that hit tool. Um, and, and honestly, before this season, I wouldn't have had any concerns with that at all. The Royals have historically, in my opinion, actually been pretty good at developing hit tools and, and developing really high floor players. Um, but then all of a sudden you look at their uh, minor league system and the, and the big three guys down in Wilmington, uh, Suley Matias, Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, and they're all struggling quite a bit at the plate. Um, and so it's not so much that I worry about Bobby Witt Jr., but um, he, he does have, you know, if there was a concern, it would be the hit tool. And should something happen to him in Wilmington like is happening to these guys now, and, and should Bobby Witt Jr. not be the all-star that everybody thinks he will be, um, then there's going to be a, a lot of guys whose jobs are in, in jeopardy. Um, and it's not that I think that Bobby Witt Jr. will have that issue. I just think that it, there was, a, among some of the guys that were available, like Andrew Vaughn, the first baseman from Cal, that Bobby Witt Jr.'s floor just was lower than some of those other guys. Yeah, and I think that's always going to be the case when you're talking about <laughs> comparing high school guys to college guys as well. And, and, and Sean, you kind of wrote about some of that risk-reward today, uh, talking about, you know, Bobby Witt's a, it's a, obviously a high-risk guy, a high-reward guy, but also a high-risk guy as well. And in your mind, is that risk-reward worth it for the Royals? Um, I mean, 
so I I don't know if I really got to the the heart of what I was looking to get at necessarily in that article. Um, but I mean, so what I wanted to kind of say was that you know there's a lot of risk in taking high school guys, especially guys who. I mean, the one tool that we've seen make and break prospects throughout the years is the hit tool, absolutely. So um, that's the one piece of the game that Witt Jr. would have to come around on. And I don't know if the Royals have a good history of, of teasing out um, hit tools out of players or making them better. I mean, if you look at uh, their kind of most recent track record, that's most mostly a no. Um, so I think, though, Witt Jr. has, I don't think his upside is quite as high as Rushman, and everybody kind of took you know, Rushman as a consistent number one. But when you look at guys against Vaughn, who I preferred Vaughn over Witt Jr., but still, I think the ceiling for Witt Jr. is a little higher, um, just given that he's a shortstop and um, he could conceivably hit as well as Vaughn, perhaps. Um, and, you know, with Vaughn being a first base only kind of guy, or, you know, at best, a friend's left fielder, um, that's where that risk reward plays in, where, uh, you know, with Vaughn or even JJ Bladet, who went to the Mariner, or, uh, the Marlins, um, you get a little better probability you get a higher probability of a player that's going to likely be good um but with Witt jr i think compared to the other two i think you get a little more ceiling out of it so there's always that risk reward and um i think i i think the risk is mostly worth the reward i would have rather i I like the profile of a guy like cj abrams who ended up going to the padres at sixth um because the hit tool wasn't as much in question but it's hard to argue against a guy who's already a pretty good shortstop uh, with, you know, 60 or better power and, you know, above average speed. And so, I mean, even if he's a 45 hit tool, you're still looking at, you know, Trevor Story, which is, you know, a good outcome. Yeah. And I feel like when you have like the number two pick, I mean, you kind of have to take, I guess, a little bit of a gamble. I mean, just you don't get so many opportunities to get like elite level talent. And when you have an opportunity in the first five picks to get like a really elite superstar type ceiling, um, I think you kind of have to grab it, even if it does come with potential downsides. And look, and, you know, Abrams, yeah, he has, I think some people would say he has a better hit tool and 80-grade speed, but, you know, he certainly has a lot of, um, you know, downside to his his uh, track record as well. I mean, his power, he doesn't really have nearly as much power as, as Witt does, uh, and this is a game that's obviously moving more towards power. So, uh, you know, I think after Rushman, pretty much all these guys have significant risk to them. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think Witt presents probably the higher upside than a guy like Vaughn or a guy like uh, Abrams yeah. or, or some of these other choices available. Um, Alex, you, you kind of talked about um, uh, last time we talked about some of the smoke screens being sent out. And it seemed like over the weekend we got some of that. Um, there was like some reports that, oh, the Orioles might uh, pick someone other than Rutschman and go with an underslot deal to allocate their draft bonus pool else when they're draft. And their new general manager, Mike Elias, um, was with the Astros when he when the Astros did that with Carlos Correa in 2012 so they could you know sign guys later in the draft like Lance McCullers. Then it came out yesterday that maybe the Royals were looking at J.J. Bladé more as a backup option. Uh, you know, do, do you make anything of all those all those reports? Is, was, it, was it pretty much, in your mind, Bobby Witt, uh, Rutschman, and then Bobby Witt? Was that, was that kind of the foregone conclusion this, this entire time? I think it was a foregone conclusion, and I think a lot of the reason that I would have, you know, bought any of it was that I just thought it was weird that it was a foregone conclusion Mm -hmm. and that I, in my opinion, Bobby Witt Jr. was not, you know, significantly better, like blow, blow everybody else out of the water, significantly better, the obvious number two pick. And so for the Royals to 
be public about that. And, and, you know, everybody said the Royals love this guy. The Royals love this guy that they weren't even trying to hide it. Um, it just seemed odd. Um, and, and I didn't necessarily understand why they would do that. Um, unless they were just trying to get, I, I, so I don't know. I don't know. I didn't understand that move. So I didn't necessarily buy into the rumors except for the fact that the Royals were like oddly all over a guy that it was unexpected for me. Yeah. They did seem to be kind of quite public with their, uh, their obvious affection for the young man. I date more, I guess said he spent two whole days with the family. Uh, I think the Royals said they had a scout down at every single one of his games this year. Uh, so they were obviously making themselves known. I, I know teams like to do some gamesmanship and kind of hide their scouts to hide the fact they're they're going after a guy. But I guess with the number two pick, maybe you figure, you know, look, everyone knows Rutschman's going number one, and so we've got the choice of everyone else left. So, um, you know, people know we're going to go after Bobby Witt. And, it, and look, I think people knew Witt was their kind of player, so it, it probably wasn't that big of a surprise. I'd like to add one more thing in there. And one thing that I ended up thinking about later today that we're talking about on MLB Network is that the 2020 draft class is so loaded. Um, I can't remember why they were talking about that, but the, but the 2020 draft class will be absolutely stacked. And so maybe the only other reason I can think of why they were so public with it is, let's say they, so they draft Bobby Witt Jr. Let's say he all of a sudden changes his demands and wants – nine million dollars to sign at that number two spot and the royals are just like we're, there's no way we're giving you that um go ahead and go to oklahoma which will not happen it won't happen i'm just saying as a contingency plan next year we have the number three and the number four pick or the number three and the number two pick in the mlb draft with an absolutely loaded class and, and so maybe that's not a terrible contingency and again that's that's not something that will happen but it's the only other reason I can think that the Royals would have been so public. Um, like you said, with their affection for Bobby Wood Jr. Yeah. I did want to talk about his signability real quick. And you say there's, there's no chance. And I, I, I think I agree with you that there's no chance he doesn't sign. Uh, just, just for reference, the, the draft slot for the number two pick, uh, the bonus slot is $7.789 million. The Royals have $13.1 million in their entire draft bonus pool. Uh, to allocate however they see fit among their first 10 rounds. Um, Sean, do you, is there, you know, Witt is a committed to the University of Oklahoma. Is there any chance that he steps foot on that campus? No, I mean, nobody that goes, nobody that goes in the top, I want to say top 15, other than, nobody in the top 15 has not signed other than for, it might even be the top 20, has not signed other than for an injury reason. Is that, um, is that including think- Carter Stewart last year? Yeah, he had an injury. Okay. Uh, same thing with Brady Aiken. Same thing with who am I blanking on? Cole from, yeah, Louisville. Uh, what's his name from Louisville? Uh, they almost never signed. Well, I'm sorry. He, I think he went 17. I'm, God, I can't think of his name. Um, but it, it's always due to injury. So yeah, there's no way Kyle Funkhauser. Um, there's there's no way that a guy is going to be taken second overall and not sign. I mean, on the first part, he'd be stupid. And, and I mean that in every sense of the word he would be stupid to turn down um the second overall pick to try and you know go to college especially since he'd be going to um a you know a full university and he he would be sophomore eligible i believe with his age um so he'd be waiting two years but he's going to wait two years to move up one spot conceivably um and so like that 
that doesn't really, you know, kind of make sense for that case there. And then, um, you know, it's just the money. I mean, who's going to turn down that amount of money out of hand? And I know everybody likes to say, oh, you know, his dad, and they say it's for anybody. Oh, their his parents played, you know, or his dad was a major leaguer, so he doesn't need the money. It's like, yeah, but you're, it's a little different when it's your dad's money when it's your money, you know. I mean, and no offense to uh, Bobby Witt Sr., but he wasn't like, you know, Alex Rodriguez where he made two, three hundred million dollars. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, his dad's net worth is doing well, but it's, you know, it's not like, oh, n- nobody in my generation ever has to work again or nobody in my family ever has to work again. It is interesting. His dad is his agent, and his dad is a certified agent for Octagon. But I wonder if that will kind of throw a wrinkle in the negotiations because it's one thing if you're representing a client and you get a cut of their commission. It's another thing if it's your son and you've got to think about his long-term interests and his 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 potential career. And I don't know. I guess in one way, you know, it it might make it easier to sign him because they're 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 probably going to want to get his career started. I'm I'm sure it seems like that's what you know the younger wits goal is to you know get into professional baseball so there's probably a desire to get that going and also get closer to you know to his big payday at the major league level but at the same time you know uh since dad is is you know uh, getting some of that long-term wealth instead of a commission maybe he tries to get for you know negotiate for every penny and like you say maybe there's a chance that because he's you know probably grew up in some affluence that they don't need to uh necessarily you know take a a a whatever first offer comes around from the Royals that can probably play some hardball. So it will be a little interesting, I, I think, to see how that negotiation goes. Um, the Royals have until August 15th to sign him. I would expect him to get signed. I don't think there's going to be too much of a concern. Like you say, it, he's going to have to pass up some seven and a half million dollars or so, but hoping to get more than that uh, in a couple of years, which what are the odds you're going to get much more than that? You know, and is it going to be worth it? So, seems like the Royals should be able to get him signed. Uh, and in fact, I would expect him to get signed in probably the next week or two. Um, the, the, what I heard from a lot of Royals fans uh, when he was drafted is, okay, what happens to Alberto Montesi? Because Witt plays shortstop, Montesi plays shortstop. Montesi is in his you know really first full season, uh, and it's going to be under club control for many more seasons. Presumably, Montesi would still be on the team when uh, Witt comes up. So, Matthew, how do you deal with uh, having Montessi and Witt on the same team? How does Witt kind of fit into this organization? I have a sort of a sneaking suspicion that Montessi might end up in center field. Um, I say this because uh, you think of it, they've got Montessi, they've got Witt Merrifield, they've got Nicky Lopez. Um, so that's three guys, you know, um, for two spots, basically. And Merrifield's playing a lot of the outfield, and he can play the outfield. But, you know, as he gets older, he may you know, maybe be a better infielder. Um, and so if Witt is also there, then you've got four guys who's who are basically, you know, competing for two spots. I think long-term, Amandazi to, uh, to center field is probably uh, more likely than you would think. But also the thing about the draft is that um, you never want to draft based on what, players you have right now because you don't know what's going to happen in three years or four years um it's a little different when it's the nfl draft and you're thinking to yourself okay i've got to get a quarterback or i don't need a quarterback um and so you can pick what position you want which can help you out immediately in baseball it's not like that you know these kids you know get the high school kids take three or four years to get to the major leagues you know um it's that's 
that's standard, you know, for it take for it to take three years. So who knows what you know the Royals team is going to look like in three years? Who knows if it's going to take Witt shorter or longer? You know, what if it takes him five years and he has an injury in the middle? You know, so you you just never want to wait or not not wait. You never want to make a decision based on um, current personnel because it's just it's kind of a fool's errand. You just, you just deal with it when it comes along. You know, it's just one of those things where it works itself out. And if it doesn't, then you're in a really great predicament and every team would, you know, kill to have two all-star caliber shortstops at the same time. You know, that's, it's, it's just a good predicament to have, even if you get there. Yeah. For a long time, the Royals didn't have any shortstops. It would be a really nice problem to have two, you know, game changing power hitting, uh, speedster shortstops at the position. Uh, it's a nice problem to have. Alex, you, you kind of mentioned the the possibility of Monacy moving to center field last time we talked. Is that is that kind of where you, how you see, you know, if everything goes right and Witt makes it to the big league level, say, around 2022, uh, is that kind of how you see things lining up? Yeah, I would uh, – I'm, I'm not 100% sold that Hunter Dozier is going to be the six-year, five-year, four-year, whatever it is, solution at third base. So – I think there's an equally good chance. I think there's a better chance that Bobby Witt Jr. moves to third base than there is for Mondesi to move to center field, except that the Royals' depth in center field throughout the system right now looks very shallow. Um, Khalil Lee is good, but I think he's a corner outfielder long-term. And so, really, I don't know who you're excited about in the system at center field that looks like a legitimate um, big league option every day. So to, the point of that is I think there's a better chance that Witt Jr. goes a third, but I'm torn because I would really like to see Mondesi in center field because I would like to watch him be able to run more than just around the bases uh, 30% of the time. So uh, that, I, I'm rooting for him to be in center field, but I think it's more likely Witt Jr. plays third. Yeah, I think I think I'm kind of with you. I think Witt ends up at third base, and we'll see what happens with Hunter Dozier. With you know this first two months is is for real, and if he's a, a fixture at third base for for a while, but you know he's also possible. I think he ends, could end up being more comfortable at first base, especially in a few years when maybe he's you know over thirty and maybe less mobile than he is now because he's a fine defender now. But we'll see how he how he fields that position later on. And Witt, I think you know moving from shortstop to third, that would you know he obviously has a possibility of being a plus defender at that position at third base. So I think that might be a better fit, but I, like you say, yeah, the center field is really thin right now. Uh, Sean, how do you see the, the 2022 Royals? I know it's a long time and things don't always work out this way, but if you could kind of game plan how the Royals would, would, would raise these guys and where they put them on the diamond, how would you kind of see this working out? Um, I mean, there's a very, very good chance that one of Dozier, Mondesi and Maryfield are either not going to be on the Royals anymore or won't be, um, as good as they are now, and my bet would probably be Merrifield in the three. Um, so I don't know. I wouldn't worry about it necessarily right now. I mean, Witt Jr. is at least three years away. Um, I mean, you assume he. Let's see. So you assume he goes to Burlington, finishes the year at Burlington, um, goes to Lexington. Say he does go to Lexington, then the Royals aren't that quick to move high school guys, but okay, let's just say he gets to high A ends 2020 in high a uh he then goes right to double a in 2021 
and then he does well in that. So then he finishes the year in AAA. So you're talking 2022 at the most optimistic timeline. Um, or more realistic timeline is more like 2023, 2024 is when you see him because you could really see him um, sticking around, you know, going to Burlington for the rest of the year, going to Lexington for all of next year, um, maybe going to high A and double A uh, the year after that, and then to triple A. You know, I mean, it's a some, sometimes roles have been quick to promote guys, but um, I don't know what their history of promoting necessarily um, kind of these the the prep uh, draft picks um Moustakis and Hosmer yeah they they made it through fairly quickly um but of course you know Hosmer had his slump in Wilmington um Moustakis had did he have a slump a bit in double a maybe not uh but I mean it's not like it's an instant one we even saw Will Myers one player of the year and he you know wasn't quite uh up just yet so um I I think 2023 is a more realistic timeline and by then I'm not even sure when Merrifield's contract is up by then. So it might even be, he might be technically, you know, off the books by then. So um, I don't know. I just let it work itself out, you know. And then Montessi will be actually in his last year under club control, I yeah. believe, by 2023. So yeah. if it, you know, if it really comes down to it, you could, you know, possibly Montessi's on the trading block by then. Uh, or, you know, it's only a one-year problem unless Montessi signs some sort of extension. But, yeah, it's a nice problem to have, and, and it's really kind of way down the road. So it's probably not worth worrying about too much. I'm sure they'll raise, kind of bring him up through the system as a shortstop, and then you can always move him to another position down the defensive spectrum. It's a lot easier to go from short to third or short to left or short to second than it is uh, going up the defensive spectrum going to shortstop. So um, nice problem to have, and I think we'll be, we'll be interested to see how the Royals figure that out when the time comes. Uh, you guys touched a little bit upon – you know where he'll start. I guess Alex, do you have a good guess on where, if you know, so let's say Bobby with Junior signs here in the next couple of weeks, what, where, where, where should we expect to see him? Do you think he'll be thrown into professional baseball immediately? Maybe go to Arizona. What, what, what do you see as kind of the time timeline for him? My best guess would be that he heads straight to Burlington and joins what I believe to be the kind of the advanced uh, rookie ball team for the Royals there in, in Burlington. And then um, from there, like, I think it was Eric Hosmer who only had like 15 plate appearances at Burlington or something. Um, and then he went straight to a ball. And so I, I don't know necessarily if it'll be that. In fact, when the Royals drafted Nick Prado and MJ Melendez, less high profile, right. But still prep guys in the first and second round, they went to, to Arizona um, I don't think that Bobby Witt Jr. is an Arizona League player. I think he goes straight to Burlington. From there, it's kind of a, a toss-up how quickly he moves to Lexington. But honestly, I, I can foresee a scenario where he spends the last month of Lexington season, uh, the month of August, uh, with the Lexington Legends uh, manning shortstop for them. I, I think that's a real possibility. So the Royals have made their second overall pick. Uh, they'll have two more picks, uh, which we'll talk about here later on in the, in the podcast. But just kind of watching the first round uh, unfold, Sean, you know, the first couple picks kind of went, I think, as, as many people expected. Are there any surprises that you've seen early on in the draft, or has this been pretty much how a lot of people thought? Um, some of it, I think I think pretty much all the prospect guys had it. Um I think all of them went seven for the first seven, and then it kind of separated a bit. Um, I think people—it uh, depends on who you ask—but like uh, uh, Corbin Carroll, uh, 
Keith Law had him ranked highest four. He ended up going 16th um, to the Diamondbacks, one of their first of many picks that we'll see tonight. Um, I think uh, Hunter Bishop um, was aggregated at about uh, eight-ish or so, and he went 10th. I think that's reasonable. Um, I think uh, the the uh, Lodolo pick at seventh was pretty much spot on. Uh, the biggest one that I had, um, the the biggest discrepancy that uh, I had was um, the Twins uh, taking Keone Cavaco at thirteenth overall. He I had him on my aggregate board all the way at thirty second. Um, so they almost doubled up on the reach for him, which is a little surprising given the talent that was still on the board. Um, they went with Trevor Larnash last year, uh, and so I figured they might take a college guy. I mean, they had uh, on the board still Bryson Stott, who ended up going to the um, the Phillies. They had uh, Will Wilson, who uh, ended up going at 15th overall. So they had a bunch of guys still available uh, that I, you know, I think would have made a little more sense. But um, there are that's probably the only big surprise I think, and it might not even been a surprise um, because I know some some people like. Um, Kavako a little higher up, but uh, yeah, that's that's the big one, I would say. Yeah, one thing I kind of want to add to that is when when the Twins, you know, and I think they did maybe reach a little bit for Kavako there. Kavako's thought to have a really high ceiling if that if the hit tool comes around. Um, and when the Royals, when when you hear people talk about the Royals earlier before the draft started, and maybe not taking Bobby Witt Jr., the Royals farm system is in such a place where they have to hit. The Twins farm system is relatively loaded. Um, Royce Lewis is hitting well. Alex Kirilov is, is hurt a little bit too often, but he's hitting well. Trevor Larnage is hitting the ball really well. Um, they've got a really good farm system and can afford then to take the chance on a guy like Cavaco, who's got a wildly high ceiling, but maybe a little bit of a lower floor where the Royals at number two took a, a similar type of player with a much higher floor, obviously. Um, but that's kind of why people, I think, were, were mentioning maybe not taking Bobby Witt Jr. because the Royals absolutely have to hit on this pick, and the Twins have put themselves in a really good position where they can gamble um, without a ton of worry about missing on this pick. And the uh, the Rockies just took Michael Tugley out of UCLA, and I don't have anybody. The highest he's ranked on the board was 38th overall at Fangraphs, and he just went 23rd. Um, so we're getting to that part where um, some guys are getting taken ahead, whether it be Sonny Mona stuff or it'd be something like Matt McClain with the Diamondbacks last year where they just straight up like Matt McClain um, more than most or didn't think they'd be around for the next pick. Who do you guys like as the steal of the first round so far? I know, Sean, I think you and I talked a little bit on Twitter about C.J. Abrams going to the Padres at, uh, I think it was a six or seven. Uh, Abrams, a guy that I think was considered at least for uh, you know one of the top two picks, maybe good speedster. Is there is there another guy maybe you you like as a as a guy going uh, you know a little bit lower than you thought that could be a really impact player? Um, I liked I like Stott a bit um, coming out coming into the spring. I like Stott a bit. So the the um, the Phillies getting him uh, earlier, getting him at fourteenth. Um, was nice, um, right? Fourteenth. Uh, then, yeah, you said Abrams. I like that. Um, I actually thought that Alec Manoa and um, Jackson Rutledge were 
basically the same as far as like a risk reward and overall profile. And um, Rutledge ended up going seven picks later. Well, 11th against 17th. He went 17th to um, the Nationals. So I really kind of like that for them. Um, and then the other one, um, there's, there was a lot of comparisons between Corbin Carroll and Mickey Moniak. Moniak went 1-1 to the Phillies a few years back. Uh, the He ended up going, what, Carroll went to the Diamondbacks at 16th. Um, I didn't like, and of course I said, I'd rather have Corey Ray over Moniak and, you know, neither one's really worked out, uh, back then. Uh, but you know, I would, I'm much more happier with taking Moniak at 16th overall than I would be one, one. And, um, the Diamondbacks got Carroll at 16th overall. So I think, I think that's a really good value pick for them. Alex, do you have a, a steal of the draft? Yeah. George Kirby from Elon at number 20 feels like a, like a really good get. Um, I know there were some people that were higher on Quinn Priester than others. Um, and I wrote an article over at Royals Farm basically saying that Bobby Witt Jr. and um, uh, C.J. Abrams will be linked together, right, for the rest of forever um, because they were prep shortstops drafted so closely together. Um, but George Kirby is a guy I think that in, in seven years we can look back at this draft. Zach Thompson drafted right before him, Quinn Priester, Jackson Rutledge, all drafted three three in a row right before Kirby, and I liked them better than almost everybody, almost every pitcher in this draft, um, save for Lodolo, Manoa, and Brennan Malone. So um, Brennan Malone, by the way, having not been drafted yet, that's a guy who, as soon as he is drafted, will be a quote-unquote steal of the draft for me because, in my opinion, from looking at all of these players, Brennan Malone is a top-10 talent in the draft. Um, I think he needs more developing than a lot of these guys, and so it's, it's a little bit more of a gamble. I think in terms of pure talent, he's a, he was a top-10 guy for me, so whenever he does get drafted, if the if the Dodgers snatch him right here at 25, um, they've had a good run developing prep pitchers. Um, I'd really like him at, with the Cubs and w- or with Arizona, so he's got a couple of options coming up here, but um, between Brennan Malone and George Kirby, I think those are two pitchers who fell out fell into the 20 to 30 range that had no business being there and Matthew are you, are you surprised at all it seems like the the draft has gone pretty much as expected is that just there's so much information out there that uh, we're not going to see many surprises in the draft anymore I, you know, I think it's a combination. Some drafts are easier to pick than others, yeah. right? So I keep referencing 2011 when um, the uh, the Royals got um, Bubba Starling. They were they wanted one of like four arms, and they thought, okay, there's four teams ahead of us. We'll get one of them, and then all four of those teams picked the arms, and the Royals were kind of left, you know, shaking their head and looking around. Um, you know, I I think that scouting. And the draft stuff has gotten better. But also, I think a little bit, you know, after the first couple of picks, it's kind of a crapshoot a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's a pretty clear delineation between uh, Rushman Witt and um, everybody else, you know, for, for, as far as everything I've, I've read. You know, some people like Blade, some people like Vaughn, some people like Abrams. But everyone could pretty much agree that Rushman and Witt were the best two players in the draft, um, you know. So I the one... Uh, the one thing that I do think is uh, might be a steal is like you guys were talking about C.J. Abrams at at six um, when pretty much you know everybody had him as about the fourth best um, or a lot of people had him at, at about the fourth best um, 
And those two spots, you know, may not be like a huge numerical like drop, but if there's a fourth overall guy and you get him for at number six and you're not expecting him to, to get there, you know, I think the Padres got, you know, a really good, uh, talented guy. Um, and that those kind of micro drops can make or break a team's draft, right? You know, um, it sort of broke the team, the Royals draft in 2011, but, you know, that, that same kind of thing could uh, be beneficial for the Padres going forward. And I wanted to, I wanted to make a comment too on a steal that, I mean, I know, I don't know if this is controversial, but actually, I almost wonder if, um, Andrew Vaughn going to the White Sox is a steal too, because, I mean, they were at the mercy of two picks in front of them. And yeah, they were consensus ones, but I think there's a world where Andrew Vaughn is the best player taken in this draft. Um, he and JJ Blade, and, uh, you know, Blade went fourth and Abrams went, or, oh God. Oh my goodness, Vaughn went third, but A went fourth. Um, and I think that, you know, either one of those two could end up being the best two players or the best player of the draft. And um they were they were passed over against two team two teams who conceivably could have picked anybody in the draft and they ended up not taking Bade or um or Vaughn. So not that that's not not that, you know, the the Royals and the Orioles made the wrong decision necessarily, but um, you know, I do think that's also a possibility that um could end up being a, a big steal in the end, technically. Yeah, and there was some talk about in the comments today about like what was the strength of this draft, and it it's pretty clear like because of the lack of pitching, there's just no pitching at the top of this draft that makes it I think a little bit of a weak draft. But I think it's a good year to be in the top five, like the, the like the top the teams that get the top five picks. I think all those teams and even six now with the Padres getting Abrams, I think they all got pretty good prospects there. Uh, and so I I think all those teams have to feel really good about what they're walking away with here when the first round. So. You know, the Royals have two more picks tonight. We're going to take a break. We're going to listen to Harold Reynolds and Dan O'Dowd try to pretend like they know anything about these players. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Royals' two other picks that they made on the first day of the draft. I know you're a sucker for comparisons. You're always pestering me and Jonathan for comparisons. I am. I've got one here for you. It's going to be the best comparison you hear all night. You ready? Patrick Mahomes. He's going to be to the Royals what Patrick Mahomes is to the Chiefs. I got that comp from a scout. I don't want to out him as a source. I told him I was going to use that on TV, but it's a special player, special talent, special makeup, and he can do for the Royals what what Patrick Mahomes has done for the Chiefs. And we're back, and uh, the Royals have continued making selections. Uh, They took number two. At number two overall, they took Bobby Witt Jr. and Jim Callis, as you just heard. Compared him to Patrick Mahomes' Junior, uh, Matthew, do you think Bobby Witt's going to have the same kind of impact on Kansas City as Patrick I mean, Mahomes? That's, I mean, that's clearly ridiculous because Patrick Mahomes is a quarterback and Bobby Witt is <laughs> not. And that's just like not how baseball works. But, you know, whatever. I, yeah, I, I get the idea. That was weird. Jim Callis is not usually one for hyperbole, I don't think. Like, that was more of a Harold Reynolds thing to say. But uh, I guess that was something a scout came up with that he wanted to pass along. So, interesting cop. Hey, if that happens, I'll be thrilled. Uh, but they Royals did continue on with the draft uh, in the 44th round or 44th overall pick in the second round. They selected another Florida Gator, uh, shortstop Brady McConnell, out of the University of Florida. He was teammates with Brady Singer and Jackson Coar, the Royals' first round picks from last year. Uh, he is a draft eligible sophomore. He had 332 with 15 home runs this year for the Gators. Uh, Alex, just kind of your general thoughts on Brady McConnell. Yeah, really toolsy uh, shortstop. He's a draft-eligible sophomore out of Florida. Um, he's a guy, and one of the guys I write with over at Royals Farm Report, Marcus Mead, made a good point that um, 
So Brady McConnell this year hit 15 home runs and 11 doubles as the shortstop at Florida. And he's a guy who, if he goes back to Florida and has a really good year, he's looking at the potential to be a top 15 pick next year. Um, one of the reasons he fell in the draft is because he struck out, I think it was 57 times and only walked 33. So his plate discipline um, needs, some, needs some changing and he's a little too aggressive to play. But if the Royals can get him signed, get him into their system and start helping him fix uh, some of his plate discipline issues, he's a guy who could have some serious helium and, and a guy who could really uh, rise to the system pretty fast because he is toolsy. He does it for a ton of power. He is really fast. And in a lot of ways, he's kind of the unpolished college version of Bobby Witt Jr. in terms of pure athleticism, the position he plays, power, hit for power. So, um, yeah, I actually don't mind that pick at all. Yeah, it sounds like he was kind of a, uh, a fir- considered a first-round uh, p- potential talent coming out of high school in Florida. Uh, but he had a, he kind of really struggled his senior year. And and because of that, and because people thought he was going to go ahead and follow through on his commitment to University University of Florida, he kind of fell to the thirty third round where he was selected by the Reds. So it seems like that you like know, I think you're right. The tools are there, and while I think there are some red flags, the the, the swing and miss, the the his, his strikeouts, his lack of walks, um, you know there that is evident. I think Baseball America was drawing a lot of um, concerns about his potential at shortstop, whether or not he can stick at that position. He may not be the most instinctual player there. He may have some, some issues with this, how soft his hands are. But, I mean, I think that he has enough tools there that they can work with him, and it sounds like they might be able to unlock some more talent. And even if he has to move to another position, he still has the athleticism, it sounds like, to be able to stick at some premium position, maybe second base or center field. Matthew, do you have any quick thoughts on Brady McConnell as a draft pick? To me, he screams like the kind of guy who, who moves to second base, right? I mean, shortstop, college, not you know guaranteed to to uh, stick there, which is you know that's a second base sort of uh, potion recipe, as it were. Um, but I I think it's interesting that they're and we'll we'll continue talking about this when we get to uh, their other pick of the evening is they're sticking with college guys. You know, there is there's plenty of guys at seventy. Uh, prep guys who have uh, fallen down in the board, uh, down the boards, um, and they didn't go with any of them. They went with the college guy. So I think that's of note. Um, you know what it means and if it'll be effective. I don't know, but they're other than Wit, who you know that was kind of just a he was the best player available. They've been picking college guys, and we'll see if that continues tomorrow. Yeah, and it's interesting because McConnell. He's a college player, but he's also maybe on the younger side as a draft eligible sophomore. sophomore. So, uh, you, you know, maybe he still has some upside left. And like I said, he has those tools that they maybe, you know, as they get professional coaching and, and development, uh, they can unlock some of those other skills. With their 70th overall pick, the Royals chose right-handed pitcher Alec Marsh out of Arizona State University. Marsh is from Milwaukee originally, but it was undrafted out of high school. He was a, a big riser up draft boards this spring after a strong season with the Sun Devils in his junior season. He went 9-3 and three with a 3.17 ERA, 92, 92 strikeouts, 33 walks, and 96 and two-thirds innings. Alex, what's kind of your general impression on Alec Marsh? I know that the Royals could certainly use some pitching. So is this, is this kind of the, the arm that the Royals have been looking for in this draft? Yeah, I don't know if he's going to come in and be a big impact guy. Um, and I... 
when I when I make this comparison, I don't want anybody to think I'm comparing the pitchers. I'm not comparing these two pitchers at all. But the situation reminds me a lot of Daniel Lynch last year for the Royals at pick number 34. Um, Daniel Lynch was a guy I don't think really anybody had on their radar to be a first-round pick. He was more of like a fourth-round guy. And then he had such a good year at Virginia that teams were forced to move him up boards, forced to reconsider their draft position for him. And I think Alec Marsh had some similar movement where he was supposed to be maybe a more middle-round pick but he had such a good season at Arizona State, teams were forced to reconsider. Now, he obviously didn't make the same push to, to get himself into the first round, but I think it's a similar profile where you're drafting a guy based on that that rise he had. And can he continue to, to make that rise? Can he continue to improve? Or was did he hit a plateau and now he is what he is? Um, so I think that's what the Royals are banking on here. It's kind of a, it's a little bit of a gamble in terms of um, it. There's a really good floor there, but you're also you know there's some potential for, for for continued improvement, which a lot of times in college guys you know everybody improves, but with college guys it's just a matter of how much. Um, this this kind of feels like a pick where yes it's a college kid, but there may be more room for improvement than the average college pitcher. Baseball descri- Baseball American describes them as having a five-pitch mix, which I like that, you know, a pitcher that already has kind of a polished repertoire. And, you know, it says that all the, his offerings are average right now, which, you know, I can work with. I think that's something the Royals can work with, you know. Like, it's not like his fastball is like a mid-80s or upper-80s fastball. There. He throws low, sometimes mid-90s. So I, that's some potential there, and I think there there is some potential that he could be maybe a little bit uh, – more than kind of what the his ceiling looks like right now uh, as he gets more more professional coaching. Of course, a lot of that depends on the Royals' uh, player development, which has uh, drawn some skepticism, of course. Sean, do you have any uh, thoughts on Alec Marsh as, as a 70th overall pick? I would have liked to see them go with maybe even like with 44th. Um, I would like to see them go with a little bit more upside. Um, I don't know if you even could call what they took necessarily value. Um, there was a couple guys that I kind of liked a little bit more there. Um, but I think with, uh, I think March kind of fits their type, right? Um, he kind of reminds me a bit, uh, a little bit of, uh, of Bubik, Chris Bubik, who was taken right around this spot, um, last year, uh, more in the sense of it's kind of more fringy average stuff overall. Um, I think Bubik's got a little bit more better come in, uh, than Marsh, but still it's a guy that, I get yeah, safety is the wrong word, but it, it's it's typical of kind of what I would think they and it's and it's similar a bit with Brady McConnell as well. It's typical of that idea of um, looking for kind of more solid all around guys that are college performers. Um, I definitely think the Royals like that both of them are kind of the high impact gamer types um, in the sense that you know they're clubhouse guys and leaders and you know whatever uh descriptions you want to give on them so um i think that's what they really liked i was really surprised that they hadn't done anything um with with any of the pit with the three picks at least the 44th and 70th i would really like them to take a high school guy or someone with some upside um but you know i understand going with mcconnell you could probably get under slot ish at 44th um and then you'll get the savings for wit jr so then you spin at 70, but of course the tomorrow will be another day for them. And, you know, if they go tomorrow with some of those prep guys um, like Matthew Allen and um, like Jack Leiter and Callahan can go off the board. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, 
Marsh was a bit of a gamer. He was the Friday night starter for Arizona. So st- going up against a lot of other teams' best pitchers. Uh, I think it was Jonathan Mayo at MLB Pipeline who was saying that uh, Marsh kind of profiles more as a fourth starter. Maybe a, a, a nice bullpen arm. Uh, but but like I said earlier, I think maybe with some coaching he could you know exceed some of those expectations. Matthew, you kind of alluded to you know the Royals going with college pitching uh, early like they did last year. Do you think there was a maybe concern a, a concerted effort by them this year, or is this maybe just how the draft you know ended up? You know, we'll see. I guess the um, the the thing is. Uh, the reason why last year's college pitching thing was so remarkable is that they just kept going. You know, even after day one, um, they just kept picking college pitchers um, and college pitchers in general. And I think that it's a good idea because if you look at the Royals' track record regarding high schoolers in the last decade, like literally the last decade, it's been really bad. Um, you just pick a name out of a hat uh, in the top three rounds and they just haven't done very well at all. Um, so I'm. I'm okay. I'm. I. Pr- I much prefer them going with college players because it seems, at least, um, to be a, a strategy that they may have realized. Hey, we're not great at doing uh, high school. You know, we're not great at high school players. So why don't we p- pick college players and go that route? I think that's. If they continue to do that tomorrow, then I think we'll know for certain that yes, this is a uh, concerted effort because it will have been like the majority of two drafts that they've done this. Um, but I, I think it's smart. I mean, you know, can you name what was the last high school guy that the Royals drafted that was any good? Other than Junis, but I mean, that's, but go fix that. Don't, don't just build a draft around, oh, we can't, we can't do this. We're not good at developing this type of player, so let's just not draft them. No, go, go fix that. Um, and you're never going to be able to fix it if you don't actually give it a shot to take these guys. I mean, they had no problem taking. I mean, if they were going to do this like this sort of, I wouldn't call it safety, but they were going to do this conservative, more conservative approach, they wouldn't have taken Witt Jr. Um, second overall. You know, maybe they would have gone with a Blade or Vaughn instead. So I don't know. I just I, I I I don't like this idea of just taking these college guys that might not need much development, and then you kind of get what you get out of them because so far. And there's arguments between what Singer is, um, and I really like Lynch myself, but there's a realistic world where you could see, you know, the Royals basically have a couple number four or five pitchers, basically, you know, this year's draft and last year's will give out a couple fours, a couple fives, a backup kind of shortstop maybe with McConnell, um, and then, you know, with Junior develops and whatever. So, I mean, like, we got to get this rebuild started. We got to, you know, get some gas in here. And adding with Junior was a good start. Um, but I think we, you know, this isn't this isn't something where you're further along in the process and you could take a couple guys like uh, to, you know, get them to the majors faster. I mean, this is a, like, hey, we're at the ground floor. Alex, were there uh, any names you thought either for for, for number forty four or number seventy that you thought uh, you, you maybe you preferred for the Royals? I know there are a couple names that seemed like they were sliding a little bit. Uh, I think some fans were hoping. Mizzou outfielder Cameron Meisner might follow the Royals, but he was uh, uh, swooped up by the by the Marlins a couple picks ahead of the Royals. So, you know, were there any any guys that were kind of sliding that you liked and, and thought could be a good value pick there? For sure, and one name that I'm gonna you know keep my eye on for the next two years is 
uh, for the next two years. For the next several years is a guy who went two picks right after Kansas City took Brady McConnell. And that's Nassim Nunez. Nassim Nunez is a uh, wildly talented uh, prep shortstop out of the state of Georgia. Um, he reminds me a bit of Adalberto Mondesi in that he is really athletic. Um, he's really, I, I think he's a premium athlete more than he is maybe a premium hitter uh, to date. But I think there's, you know, that's that's a development thing. You have to trust your player development, and um, the Royals chose not to go with that. Route. But uh, Nassim Nunez, if I was shadow drafting, quote unquote, Nassim Nunez would have been my pick at 44 uh, personally. Um, and so we'll see. Um, I, th- I don't dislike the Brady McConnell pick, but um, again, Nunez was kind of the guy that I was really hoping the Royals would take a chance on there at 44. And John, you've been doing your aggregate uh, draft board. What, what was what was kind of the board telling you when the Royals pick came up at number forty-four and maybe maybe number seventy as well? Nunez was a guy that I liked. Um, as Alex said, I, I joined in that. Um, I like Maurice Hampton, but it sounds like he's going to go to LSU. Um, he tweeted out saying, "I'm basically going to school." Um, Kyle Stowers, who got drafted, he uh, from Stanford. Gunnar Henderson also got drafted. Um, Hunter Barco, and this is for at forty-fourth. Hunter Barco. Um, sounds like he's going to go to high school and then Tyler Callahan. Um, I could see Barco or Callahan getting taken tomorrow. Um, I don't think anybody's going to take Hampton because like I said, he's already tweeted out saying I'm, I'm basically going to school. Um, that was for 44th. Um, and then for 70th, uh, I had Stour, I tweeted out Stowers, but he was taken. Um, I liked, uh, Ryan Pepio as well. Um, and then Isaiah Campbell actually ended up, did get, uh, taken to Seattle, I think a few picks later. Um, and then Drew Mendoza uh, from Florida State. So there were a couple guys um, that were available that I that I liked. Um, the weird balance is, of course, like you basically the Royals could have done it. Um, there's a bit of a bit of a risk, but I mean the Royals could have taken a guy like Matt, Matt Allen um, or Tyler Callahan or uh, Barco, or even risk it with Noah Song, who's um, uh, who's at Navy, not committed, but he's actually at Navy. Um, his kind of status on where he's going to be for the next few years is up in play. So they could have taken someone like that. They had the money. Uh, there probably would have been a no. I think he said he only wanted to go to like the Mets or the Yankees. Um, so I, I think they could have played around there, but it's where you have to make the balance between a guy like McConnell um, or Marsh or you know maybe risk not getting anybody at that pick, which you get next year back, but still, it's, it's still a risk. Anyone have any thoughts on the... Uh... MLB network broadcast of the draft. I mean, it's uh, it's a long way to go before they get to the NFL level uh, hoopla and pop and circumstance, it seems like. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember last year. Dude, I know for a fact last year it wouldn't take this long. I didn't take this long, and it was uh, like they would say on the ticker, pick is in, and then it's like, oh, okay, here we go. And they go, and we'll go. We'll be back. We're going to commercial. It's like, oh, my God. It literally took almost two hours to get the first 14 picks. Just completely unacceptable. And if there's a good way, I mean, yeah, it's a niche product. But, like, if there's a good way to get people to not watch the draft, which nobody watches to begin with really anyways, um, you know, it's take however many hours just to make 78 picks, whatever took four hours. And, and I mean, you know, the, the beauty is with the NFL draft – you get three or four different places you can um, watch. I think like ESPN, NFL Network, uh, ABC, they all have their own choices. They all have their own broadcasts. But, you know, here we've got one, and it's unfortunately got 50% of the panel is, ha- is Harold Reynolds and uh, Dan O'Dowd. So it's a tough one. Well, it seems like they're also like they're, they've are they added so many analysts. I mean, you've got the Oregon State coaches there. 
uh, you yeah. know, Dan O'Dowd, Harold Reynolds ch- chiming in. I feel like, you know, just give me uh, Carlos Colazzo and, yeah. and Jim Callis and, and maybe Jonathan Mayo. And that's all. I mean, that, that they have like 80% of the expertise that you would need. One thing um, I was really encouraged by was uh, Commissioner Manfred's comments about wanting to reach out to the NCAA, wanting to start cooperating with them a little more in an attempt to maybe get the draft into Omaha. He kind of hinted at getting the draft to Omaha where more people could be involved. So at least it sounds like the commissioner is aware that changes need to be made. But I, I don't know how the MLB lets this continue. If the, if the if the MLB draft looks like this next year, I, I would be shocked. So hopefully it's headed in the right direction. I, I thought Trevor Bauer uh, provided the best analysis yeah, of the night. That was pretty good. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, so. I, I actually enjoyed those segments quite a bit. And, you know, they are the Royals are having that game in Omaha next week with the Tigers to kick off the College World Series. So it seems like they're kind of moving in that direction. You know, having it host – first of all, have, making an event and hosting in a place like Omaha where there are already a lot of baseball fans and there are going to be a ton of fans in for the College World Series, that would make a lot of sense, generate a lot of enthusiasm instead of having it in some studio in Secaucus, New Jersey. It seems like the most obvious thing in the world. you got to think they're heading in that direction, but – you know, leave it to baseball to mess th- a good thing up. So uh, one of the things we're talking about in the broadcast is it's I the commentators uh, may be okay. And this is a little, being a little generous, I guess, but they may be okay at um, uh, commentating and uh, offering opinions on like major league baseball, but like they're really woefully unequipped for for prospects, which is like a different you know. It's a different game. It's a different thing. Um, and, like, there's one moment earlier, I think it was in the pre-show, and um, the somebody was saying, I think it was Jim Callahan, um, who was saying something along the lines of, like, yeah, there's not a lot of top-end pitching draft. And, like, the guys in the studio were all like, what? There are, like, five aces here. And it's just like, no, you, not not everyone is CC Sabathia. Like, yeah. calm down. And uh, it's just, like, if you think about it as as – its own thing rather than just like pitchers who you have to hype up or players you have to hype up. Um, it's different, but they don't treat it as different. So everybody yeah. is the best player in the world. Yeah. I was going to say, think about how many, how many all-stars and MVPs were drafted tonight. I, there had to <laughs> been at least 15 to 20 MVPs drafted tonight. Everybody who's Derek Jeter. And I, at one point, I literally at one point, Al Leiter said, I like this guy because he pitches and he was a pitcher. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God, what is this guy talking about?" I don't know. That that was really really frustrating. Just the coverage, and that's what it is every year. And you know, Dan O'Dow, the best thing he ever did was draft Troy Tulowitzki, and, and that's really about it. And so I don't know why they still happen, but. <laughs> well, if you do want really in depth dra- draft coverage, uh, definitely instead come to Royals Review or Royals Farm Report. Anyway, so we'll we'll be uh, doing a complete coverage of the draft the rest of the week. And I think after the draft uh, concludes in a couple of days, we'll have uh, probably another uh, podcast where we kind of sum up the draft uh, and talk about some of the more interesting picks the Royals have made. So definitely tune in for that. But thanks, guys, for hanging in there for, for the three or four hours of coverage that MLB had tonight. And uh, for everyone out there, we'll talk to you next time. Hey!